All right, very good. A little toe-tapping music right there, too. <laughs> uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11 as we continue our study in this gospel? We'll be looking at verses 29 to 36 this morning. Oh, Dustin, could I get a little assist? <laughs> Thanks. All right, I'd like to read this for us as we begin. Luke 11, verses 29 through 36. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden, or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness." See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Let's pray. Father, as we hear these words of Jesus, we think of the practical wisdom that is there and how you um, recorded these words for our benefit not just for those who heard them in the moment, but for all time. And I pray, Father, that as we think about what this means today, that you would just encourage us, help us to walk with you, help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is made up of choices. But did you ever stop to think about how many decisions we make in a day? Well, apparently some people have. There was a researcher at Columbia, Sheena Iyengar, who uh, figured out that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day. That's 25,500 decisions a year, and over 70 years, that's just a little under 2 million decisions that you would make in your lifetime. Uh, For some, that number may be low, depending upon their work or what they do, and for others, maybe it's a little high. But that's a lot of decisions that we have to make. Some choices are major. What are we going to do with our life? Where will we live? Where will we work? What is it that we aspire to become? Who are we going to marry? How many children will we have if we are married? What about our faith? Is it important to us? Is it a priority in our life? Have we made Jesus the Lord of our life? What about our friends, the people we hang around with and their influence upon us or our influence upon them? Those are all big decisions. But even the choices that may seem lesser, choices about 
food or diet or exercise or sleep will have a profound effect upon our health over the course of our lifetime. In fact, Albert Camus said that life is the sum of all of your choices. It all kind of adds up over time, and this is who you become. David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, was writing about this, and he said that Americans are experiencing a choice explosion. Americans now have more choices over more things than any other culture in human history. We can choose between a broader variety of foods, media sources, lifestyles, identities, and in some ways this is a positive trend, but Brooks also cautions that it is becoming incredibly important to learn to decide well. It is incredibly important that we learn to decide well because those decisions will affect the course of our life. In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see a crowd that was following Jesus that also made a choice. And Jesus in this passage really rebukes them for the choice that they had made. They have been demanding a sign, and Jesus responds to this demand of the crowd for this special sign that they wanted to see, and he calls them a wicked generation. Now, that's not exactly a good way to attract a crowd, is it? You know, speaking to them very bluntly, calling them out. And why was that? It is because they had already seen more than enough signs to believe. The problem wasn't a lack of signs for them. The problem was their choice, their refusal to believe in Jesus. Instead, they were choosing to close their eyes and their hearts, and Jesus rebuked them. If we are going to grow in our relationship with Jesus, then three things need to happen that I see in this text, and we're going to talk about that and the choices that we have to make. Number one, we need to choose to listen. Choose to listen to God and to his word. In verses 29 and 30, Jesus said that no sign would be given to them except the sign of Jonah. Now, what is that? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, there are two things that are highlighted in the Scripture. One is his preaching when he went to the city of Nineveh, calling them to repent. And the other is his death, burial, and resurrection, the three days and three nights that he spent in the belly of a fish. And Luke, in his gospel, emphasizes the first, Jonah's preaching. But Matthew, in his gospel, emphasizes the second, his time inside the fish that foreshadows Jesus' own death and burial and resurrection. And I think you can look at both as very significant signs to this generation. The story of Jonah emphasizes God's love for all people. That's one of the beautiful aspects of it. Here in the Old Testament, it shows God's love for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And Jonah was a prophet who was commanded to go to the city of Nineveh. That's the capital of the nation of Assyria. And at that time, it was really this powerhouse of a nation, a superpower, if you will. It was dominating the people around it. They were brutal. They were ruthless as they brought nations into submission. And Jonah refused to go. 
Here God had said, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites and I want you to tell them 40 days and then judgment's going to come and call them to repentance. And Jonah said no because they were Israel's greatest enemy. And he's like, I'm not going there. That would be like calling us to go to Russia or North Korea or Iran or someplace like that where if you heard God's call and you said, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go there. Jonah refused to go. Instead, Jonah went down to Joppa, found a boat, and he fled in the other direction, trying to get as far away from God as possible. God caused a great storm to come up. The boat was in danger of sinking. All the lives would be lost, and the sailors began to pray to their God, and then they were asking, who's responsible for this? And Jonah said, I am. And Jonah said, the only way to save the ship is to throw me into the sea and the waters will become calm. And they reluctantly did that. And when they had thrown him into the sea, the waters did become calm and Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And inside that fish, he began to pray and he confessed his sin. And after three days and three nights, the fish vomited him up on dry ground. So here is Jonah, this prophet, now looking quite different, I am sure, bleached, rather uh, woolly, uh, you know, kind of dramatic look to his countenance. There is actually a story of a whaler in the 1800s that on a whaling ship fell overboard, was caught, swallowed by a whale, and when the um, Men were continuing to do their hunting of whales, and they cut one of them open. They found this sailor inside the belly of that whale. And he was very, very bleached, and he was actually was reported blind from what had happened to him, and a little bit affected by this experience. <laughs> kind, of, kind of wild-eyed and crazy himself for a few weeks until he returned to normal. But I think about that. So here is Jonah. He is asked a second time to go and to preach to the city of Nineveh. He goes, and he, for three days, is walking across this great city, calling them to repentance. Forty days, and judgment's going to come. And Nineveh repented by order of the king. They listened. They believed this word, and they repented of their actions. And Nineveh as a city and as a nation, the Assyrians would be spared for 100 years. It would be another century before God would send them another prophet. And look at what Jesus says in verse 32. He said, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Jonah's ministry was much shorter than Jesus' ministry, three days versus three years, and yet Nineveh listened and repented. How much more should this generation listen to Jesus and repent? And instead, they closed their eyes in their heart to what he was saying. But closing your eyes doesn't hide the truth. In fact, there is a Interesting poem that was written by Lucille Clifton talking about that. She's a poet laureate. 
And she wrote a poem in which she pictured herself trying to keep her eyes closed and ignoring the truth. But then she finished the poem with a voice telling her, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is is furiously knocking. That's a good image of the truth just banging on the door, banging on the door, and you might as well face it and listen. So what is God saying to you and to me these days? What is he asking us to do? And will we listen? Will we turn from our sin and repentance? Will we be obedient to his commands? Will we do what he has said? Secondly, we need to choose to learn. In verse 31, you look at this example that is told here about the queen of the south who came uh, to listen to Solomon. In Scripture, she's also called the queen of Sheba. She had heard about Solomon's wisdom and glory, and she was not a believer. She's not a God-fearer, but she was intrigued by the reports that she had heard about Solomon and the things that he was saying and the lavishness of his kingdom and how God had blessed, and she wanted to see for herself. She came from the south, possibly Yemen, Uh, the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula there, that she came and she traveled this great distance. She spared no expense. Whatever the time, whatever the cost, whatever the distance would be, she was going to go and see for herself. And she brought great gifts to Solomon. And when she came and she sat in his court and she listened to his pronouncements and his teaching and heard his wisdom on this great variety of subjects, She marveled. She marveled at Solomon's wisdom and God's blessing on this kingdom. And she said that not even half of what I had heard had been told to her. Not even the half. And Jesus said, she will rise up and condemn this generation because one greater than Solomon is here. You know, if she was in awe of Solomon's wisdom and glory, how much more should we be in awe of Jesus and his wisdom and his glory? I think about that for us who live in this country. Do you realize the incredible privilege and accountability that we have as Christians in America? We have been blessed with a wealth of resources teaching, training, Bibles, books, and other resources. We have the freedom to worship, the freedom to study, the freedom to travel and to share our faith. And those opportunities are available to all of us. And I, I was thinking, um, Pastor Jason has put together a list of the curriculums that we have for our ABF and all of the resources that are there. And it's, it's outstanding. I mean, just the teaching materials that are available for us to use and to profit from. Radio, television, conferences, speakers that we can hear, all of it is an opportunity for us to grow. But what will we do with that wisdom that we have been given? In my own life, I think about the opportunities the Lord has given me to learn and grow. First with Campus Crusade for Christ and the training I received in evangelism, discipleship, small groups, Christian living that was just outstanding. 
I had the opportunity to go to Campus Crusade at that time, had a school uh, called the Institute of Biblical Studies, where they would invite seminary professors from around the country to come in. It was really the best of the best that they would invite to come in and teach their staff. Uh, At that time, I remember talking to Pastor Bob Ricker. He was the pastor at uh, Edina Baptist, which is Grace Church of Eden Prairie now. And he was there in those years that it was growing. And he said that at that time, there wasn't a seminary in the country that could touch that school. Uh, It was indeed the best of the best. And then uh, after being on staff for five years, Gil and I went to Trinity, outstanding faculty at TED's taught me how to study the scriptures, how to preach and teach, Uh, taught me uh, in terms of pastoral duties and ministry training, prepared me to be a pastor in the church. And I have always felt extremely grateful and also accountable for what I have been given. To whom much is given, much will be required. And that's true for all of us with the opportunities that we have had. How will we use what we have been given? What will we do with those gifts, those resources to help the kingdom of God grow? Do you want to know more about Jesus and his love for you? Do you have a hunger and a thirst to know him better? Then get in the word and make that your regular habit and meet with other believers who can encourage you or show you how to do that if you don't know how. Take that next step. Maybe you just started coming to our church. We encourage you to get involved in one of our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowship groups, where you can learn to meet with other believers and pray together. Sign up for one of our small groups and participate in one of those. that will be an opportunity to go deeper in the Word and in fellowship with other believers. Through the years of ministry, I've seen the difference that that makes that when people are hungry, eager to learn, eager to grow, they do. And God blesses that. And you'll just see the change that takes place in people's lives. And then find a place where you can serve, where you can use your gifts. It might be with our children's ministry or student ministry or with adults. It might be working with building and grounds or worship ministry or other areas like that where you can use the gifts that you have been given. And it has a profound impact upon the church when we all do our part. God blesses it and the church grows. So choose to listen, to be a person who is quick to hear what God has to say. Choose to learn and then apply what you are learning in your life. And thirdly, choose to believe. And we see that in verses 33 to 36. Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. The purpose of a lamp is to give light. That's why we have lamps in our house. And you don't turn it on and then cover it up. I mean, that would be pointless. And the illustration is actually kind of funny when you remember that in their day, The lamps had open flames. We're talking about oil lamps that were used that had a flame coming out of it, out of this wick. Uh, Sometimes it was even as basic as a a torch that was used as a light. You know, and you don't put a, a cloth over that or straw over that. You don't cover it up in that way, or you might set your whole house on fire. 
It's a, it's a silly kind of picture, but one that people would understand. The purpose of a lamp is to give light. And here the lamp is the word of Christ. It's the word of God. The light that he is talking about is his teaching, and Jesus has been speaking and teaching publicly. There are times when he will meet with the disciples privately, but up to this point, much of his teaching has been done in the synagogues or out in the countryside, Sermon on the Mount given in this beautiful setting, you know, where he is overlooking the Sea of Galilee. People are hearing him. They're coming to him by the thousands, literally, who have been following Jesus. And so his teaching has not been done in secret. It's, it's this lamp that's been held out for everyone to hear it, to see him, to see the miracles that he has performed. It has all been done publicly. So what does he mean then when he says in verse 34, though, that your eye is the lamp of your body. An eye doesn't give light. It's not like a lamp in that way. It receives it. Your eye lets in light like a doorkeeper. And when your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. You're able to see the things that are around you and to see them clearly when your eyes are good. When your eyes are bad, your body is full of darkness in the sense that you cannot see and you cannot make things out. And then it's interesting that in verse 35, he says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it. Uh, He is stating here that we have a choice in this matter, that there is something that we could do about it. He's not talking about people here who are physically blind. He's talking about people who are spiritually closing their eyes to the truth of God's Word. And he's saying, you have a choice in that matter, and you can open your eyes, and you can see what God is doing if you will listen, if you will learn, if you will turn to me. That's powerful. We can choose to listen. We can choose to learn. We can choose to be a people who get into the Word of God. We can choose to believe and obey. Belief is a choice. It's an act of the will in response to the grace of God and the work of His Holy Spirit. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. God is the one who initiates. God is the one who brings to us the knowledge of the gospel, and we hear it. And it is that work of the Holy Spirit on our heart that really does open our eyes to see the truth of it, and we respond to that grace. We can choose to believe, or we can harden our hearts, as we see in the Scripture people doing here. Belief is a choice. All of the apologetics in the world isn't going to convince someone if they don't want to believe. But if the heart is open to hear, God will do that work of salvation in our life. And I think about these people, all of the signs that they saw, all of the miracles that they witnessed, and then to hear Jesus' teaching and still harden their hearts 
No wonder Jesus says that the people of Nineveh will rise up with this generation and condemn them. Jesus did not compel faith in those who refused to believe. It was a choice that each of them would make. I came across this story about an interview that Jeff Bridges did. I don't know where, uh, this is the actor, Jeff Bridges. I don't know where he is at spiritually. But this was just an interesting comment he made in an interview about growing up as a young man. And he was asked what advice he wished he would have received at age 20. Kind of think back, is there anything you wish you had learned when you were younger, you know, or that you had been told then that would affect you now? He made this comment. He said, you know what? I got the advice. I just didn't take it. My dad would say that it's all about habits, Jeff. You got to get into good habits. And I said, no, dad, you got to live each moment. Live it as the first one and be fresh. And his dad said, well, that's a wonderful thought, but that's not what we are. We are habitual creatures, and it's about developing these grooves. And he said, as I age, I can see his point, that what you practice is what you become. Now, there's a couple good comments there. I got the advice, I just didn't take it. And you think back of that, how many... uh, painful experiences could we be spared in life if we just listened to that good counsel that we receive from others? And when those who are older than you and the Lord share wisdom and insight or things that they wish they had done when they were young, that's an opportunity for you to grow and to learn from their experience. And for him to say, too, that what you practice is what you become, I mean, that is so true. Those habits in our life, those habits of practicing, if you will, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, time in the Word with God each day, time in fellowship with other believers, the habit of going to church and making that a priority affects not only you, but it will affect your children and your children's children. What we practice is what we become. You know, I was thinking about that too with those who, just like here in this story with Jesus, will sadly someday say, you know, I heard the gospel. I just didn't receive it. There will be people who will stand before the Lord and have no excuse who will say, I heard your call. I just didn't answer. And how terrible will it be on that day? The choices we make have consequences, not just for us, but for generations to come. Now, this summer, I was looking through some uh, papers and pictures that my mom had left after she died, and I have them downstairs in the basement, you know, and it was kind of funny. Gil was kidding me because they've been in this metal box down there, and I just haven't looked through it. And so I thought, well, you know, I've been getting into this kind of ancestry and genealogy, and I was looking for stories. And I came across a picture that was there. Um, This is really like a a baseball card. It's a picture up there. It's kind of interesting. It's a picture of my great-great-grandparents. 
uh, Hans and Pernilla Christensen. And they're on my mother's side, one of my great-grandparents there. This picture was actually taken in 1870. That's why it's so faded and it's the best it could be. But there was a very interesting and powerful story that I learned about them that I did not know. Um, Hans and Pernilla came from Norway. She was born, Pernilla, my great-great-grandmother, in 1828. And she... Um, came to the United States. Uh, just to tell you the story, she married Hans in Norway in March of 1867. They would emigrate to America that same year, so they're coming just two years after the Civil War has ended. Hans had relatives who lived in Wisconsin, so they stayed there for a couple of years uh, where their first baby, Clara, was born on December 25th, 1867. Clara's the one on her father's lap. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, that's nine months later. That means that while she was coming across on this sailing ship, she was probably dealing with morning sickness as well as maybe seasickness going across the ocean. When they left, they probably would never go back. They were saying goodbye to everything that they knew in that country to begin life in a new country. They come to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, where they would stay with relatives. That's where, again, Clara is born. And then they moved to Decorah, Iowa, where Hans took a job as a baker at Luther College. Luther College had just opened in 1861. But because of the Civil War, illness, and other circumstances, there were no graduates four years later in 1865. It would not be until the next year that they would have their first class to graduate. Their second child, Anna, was born in 1870. She's on her mother's lap. And sometime between when this picture was taken and just... A few months later, Hans died in a cholera epidemic, July 23, 1870. Pernilla was left with two children. She was homeless with no means of support. And then Pernilla became seriously ill, and she thought that she was going to die also. And in her grief, she wrote a letter to her two daughters so that they could read it when they were older. And this letter was translated by my great-uncle, Arnold, from Norwegian into English. And here's what she said. Listen to this prayer and think about yourself in this situation. If you thought you were going to die, you have two young daughters, one three, one a newborn, just a few months old, and you want to give them your final instructions and thoughts. She said, my dear children, Clara and Anna, I, your failing mother, feel that I will soon leave you, and from my heart I desire to give you my parting instructions. Dear children, be obedient and kind to those who are to be your guardians. Be industrious and willing to learn God's word. You hear that phrase, be willing to learn, just like what we were talking about in this message. Pray to God for the enlightenment of his Holy Spirit. Then read with reverence and a willing mind to live according to the word of God. Remember, dear children, that our dear Father in heaven is all-knowing and sees you wherever you are. Yes, all that you think, speak, and do, and that he hates what is evil. 
Oh, do not be frivolous. Do not speak evil things. God hears them. Consider earnestly the Word of God which we have in the Bible and read other good books too. Through these you will see how much Jesus has suffered for us. Yes, for our sins unto eternal blessedness. Pray to our God and he will keep you. He will help you both in body and soul, even though you may be without parent in this world. Be obedient and kind. Obey God first of all, and then you will obey others, but not in that which is sinful. Be diligent in reading the books passed on to you by your father and mother, and guard against false doctrine or seducing teachings. When you enter school, be quiet and not giddy. Remember that God sees it, and do not seek vain things, for God resists the proud, and vanity cannot help either in life or in death. Pray to your heavenly Father, and he will help you. Pray also for the guidance of the worthy Holy Spirit, and he will lead you through this world in the short time you have here to live. My dear children, we are living in the last time. Watch and study carefully the way laid out in the Word. If people mock you, do not let it trouble you. Just love God and belong to Him. O beloved, do not pursue or seek to learn that which is evil. Flee from all such things. And do not let anyone induce you to believe that dancing is not sinful. Hear you here. <laughs> now you learn, now you know why I never learned to dance. No, this is, no. But in that context, uh, saloons and dance halls were not a good place for anyone to be. It is a great sin and it leads to forgetfulness of God and other evils. My dear children, remember Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, and the glorious home in which he dwells. We also shall meet there after death if we remain his children. Your dear father prayed for this the short time he lived here and is now at home with his Savior. He died the 23rd of July, 1870. And I, your feeble mother, write this with the prayer that God by his grace will keep you his believing children and give you eternal blessedness, guarding you from the fires of hell. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine that. I read that and I thought, wow, what would I have said? And I think about her thoughts and her concern for their physical welfare, but most of all for their spiritual welfare. Well, by God's grace, Pernilla survived. She would remarry and live a long, full life. When she died, there were many people who came to her funeral, and she was known as a woman of prayer. Her daughter, Clara, is my great-grandmother, the one sitting on Hans's lap. She, too, was a woman who prayed, and she passed that on to her daughter, Palma, who is my grandmother, and to the other siblings, some of whom would go into ministry as pastors, many, again, active in their churches. And she passed that on to my mom, Ruby, and I see that same quality in my sister, Anita. A legacy of faith, a commitment to prayer, and to praying not just for ourselves, but for the generations that will follow. What will we pass on to our children's children? The choices that we make, again, have consequences, not just for us, but for generations to come. 
And when we commit our children unto the Lord and we pray for their children's children, children for generations to come, you know, we just don't know the impact that that will have. I'm sure that my great-great-grandmother never would have known that one day one of her descendants would be standing here telling her story and the impact that it has had on our family. Choose to listen. Be someone who is eager to hear the Word of God. Choose to learn. Apply it to your life and the circumstances that you are in. And choose to believe and obey. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God and for the examples of others who have gone before us. And may we be faithful to follow in their steps and to pass on that same kind of legacy of faith to our children's children for generations to come or until you return. We ask this all in your powerful and beautiful name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to end our service with an exit offering for the hurricane relief effort. I've also had some men in our church express an interest to go down and to help in a physical way too. If you'd be interested in that, let me know. We'll try to organize a team that could uh, go down and, and give help to our brothers and sisters there. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all God's people said, Amen.